0: Welcome to The Bridgehead with Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary,
1: and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 530 at 1.30pm. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half an hour. Now, uh, last week we talked to uh, Rebecca Kiesling, who's a an attorney and a pro-life activist in the U.S., and she shared with us her very powerful story about being conceived in rape and how she uses her personal testimonies uh, to sway people against supporting abortion in the case of rape. People as varied as Newt Gingrich and Rick Perry, all the way down to people she speaks to at high schools and just making the very basic and fundamental point that human beings deserve human rights. We are valuable based on who and what we are, not how we came into existence. But when we look at, at both Canada and the United States, we find countries of people now who very rarely base their opinions on reason or fact. It, it, it's not very difficult to figure out that the preborn child inside the womb is in fact a human being. It's not too difficult to figure out that pornography is obviously damaging and that if you expose yourself to pictures of thousands and thousands of naked people, it's unlikely that you're going to find yourself happy with one. It's, It, it should seem obvious to people that divorce culture and hookup culture and promiscuity have done nothing but hurt children and hurt the people who are trying these relationships. And yet for some reason, we've been sort of tricked into thinking that this is normal, that this is the way that things should be, that uh, this is just the way that societies naturally progress. So to kind of take a, a, a closer look at what it was that happened that our culture started to buy into all these lies lies like abortion lies like the sexual revolution i called up a man named david kupelian he's an award-winning american journalist he's a best-selling author and he's the vice-president and managing editor of the online news giant uh, wnd uh, he is a widely read online columnist, the editor and driving force behind Whistleblower Magazine, and he's the author of two very influential books, 2005's The Marketing of Evil and its 2010 sequel, How Evil Works. Now actually the marketing of evil is a book uh, that here at the Canadian Center for bioethical reform I share with all of our interns so that they can get a background on for example how it was uh, that abortion became mainstreamed and and how it was that something we know kills a human being uh, turned into a, an issue of choice and not an issue of human rights Kupelian is is all, a frequent media guest he appears on Fox MN, MSNBC c-span CBN and a lot of other TV and radio venues and I was Uh, Really grateful to him to make the time to come on and chat with me today to share with all of you the different ways in which evil has influenced our culture and the different ways in which evil has been sold to our culture. So, uh, without any further introduction, uh, welcome to the program, David Capellian.
2: So, uh, what I've been looking at on this show for the last while is how uh, different things are sold to the public and how we live in a very high information age with a lot of information available to people and yet still for some reason a lot of the most significant issues have the least amount of rational thought actually put into them during discussion so for example uh, the issue of abortion you hear constantly things that are put out like well enormous numbers of back alley abortions took place prior to Roe v. Wade, or here in Canada that would be R. V. Morgenthaler. So in your book, The Marketing of Evil, which I found uh, very fascinating because it exposed, I think, a lot of things that people in our society just take for granted, you talk about how abortion was actually sold to the public with lies like this that are still repeated to this day. That's right.
0: Bernard Nathanson was the uh, part of the vanguard of abortion legalization in America in the late. 60s, early 70s. He was the one of the co-founders of Naral, one of the top uh, unhinged uh, pro-abortion groups even today. And he uh, ran the largest abortion clinic, uh, certainly on the East Coast, in in Manhattan. Um, And uh, he had a, you know, he had a crisis of conscience. He was touched by God at some point, and he uh, he spent the rest of his life trying to put the genie back in the bottle of, of abortion. And he was very forthcoming about the marketing plan that they used to sell abortion to America and um, to the media and, and through the media to, to the public and, and the Supreme Court. And basically, he says they just simply fabricated lies. They flat out made out, made up uh, statistics um, the number of uh, you know uh, women dying from uh, you know illegal botched abortions, back alley coat hanger abortions, so-called. The number of women dying every year, they would fabricate uh, by an order of magnitude, you know, tenfold or more. They'd make up, or or fiftyfold. They make up astronomical numbers. Like uh, it's In fact, if you go to the NARAL website today, you can still find the number of 5,000 to 10,000 women were dying every year of illegal botched abortions, according to the lying propaganda. There never was anything remotely like that. Uh, Nathanson, who was in the middle of this world, says it was something more like, Oh, I can't remember the number, but it was in the hundreds, 100, 200, 300 per year. Right. Not 5,000 or 10,000. You know, 100 people dying of anything is a tragedy, but when you're making when, when you're going to legalize abortion and you do it on the basis of 5,000 to 10,000 women are dying every year, that is a aggregate number that makes people think, "Wow. You know, if 10,000 women Americans are dying of anything, we that, that needs to get our attention. We need to do something about that." And so that is how they sold abortion to a, a basically liberal, progressive media that thought that this was a good, enlightened thing to do. But the media, to their shame, never actually went and researched, uh, you know, trust but verify. They never actually said, okay, that's great. Where is your research? We right. want to double-check your statistics. You you are an interested party. Wh- wh- who, who who actually conducted this research? There was no research. They just made it up as Nathanson later admitted.
2: Ray, and on the topic of faulty research, one of the chapters of the book that I found most fascinating, because it contradicted virtually everything I learned when I was in university uh, taking a a degree in history, was your chapter on Alfred Kinsey. Because, of course, abortion, the legalization of abortion in 1973 was, of course, symptomatic to a degree of a culture that now needed uh, abortion to deal with the sheer amount of unwanted pregnancies that were taking place due to promiscuity. But this whole sexual revolution was really brought about by by one man, as you, you make that point, Alfred Kinsey in 1956. And you point out that almost for everything we know about the sexual revolution isn't actually true.
0: Yeah. Even, uh, you know, Kinsey is a famous person. He has been biographied several times. And even his most, uh, you know, uh, positive biographers have pointed out the, the, the inescapable that he was a very, very sick. Human being sexually, he. I think you could say he was a sexual psychopath. Right. Um, He and you know the researcher that really brought all this to light is is Judith Reisman. And what Judith, who is a good friend now, what 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 she discovered is she's been covering this for decades. She read, and this is right in the sexual behavior of the human male that was published in 1948, and it was followed by the. Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, and I think 1953. But the big blockbuster was the first book, 1948. This is still World War two Greatest Generation era time, mm-hmm. and uh, Kinsey was on the cover of Time magazine and everything else. It was like he was the, the scientist in the white coat that was portrayed as the you know conservative family man who did all this research and found out all this stuff that we never realized about sex. But it turns out that he was a very sick person, and you don't have to take anybody's word for it. You can simply go to the book itself and you will find these very now infamous tables. I think it was table 35 and table 36. These are charts that purport to show the, how do I say this without sounding too graphic? The sexual responses of infants. We are talking not even just toddlers, infants. Children down to two months of age, they were sexually torturing, and I'm saying, if you are, you know, if you are molesting children, and by by Kinsey's own words, they were crying, they were writhing in pain, and so forth, I mean, it's unthinkable. It's like listening to the news today of what, like, ISIS does to Christian children in, in Iraq and stuff like that. Things that are so horrible, you almost... It's painful to even talk about them, okay? These are the things that are described in Kinsey's book. This book is an international bestseller, reviewed by all the international media. And so Judith Reisman, the scholar, says, "Um, excuse me, how is it that these tables in here, where we're talking hundreds of children are being molested like this by pedophiles with stopwatches, and they are literally... Um, transcribing the so-called, you know, sexual pleasure, sexual responses of these little tiny children. And, and so Judith asked the obvious question that anybody who's, who's thinking clearly would ask, how, what kind of research is this? It is a felony to have this kind of contact with little children under any circumstances whatsoever. Right. There are no exceptions. So how could this happen? And it's all laid out there. It's as though the world is in a trance. And the truth is that back then, even though, you know, the world was, the West was more of the Judeo-Christian worldview and we didn't have, you know, same-sex marriage and even the sexual revolution yet, although Kinsey was the... Was the f- the founder, the leader of the sexual revolution that, th- that flowered in the 1960s, and mm-hmm. today we have sexual anarchy and the sexual revolution and gay rights and transgender, and it just goes on and on and on. But back then, it was it was something brand new, and people, even back then, were kind of in awe of science. As long as a guy had a white coat on and he was. Um, and he was you know a scientist tendered at the uh, University of Indiana and and the media of course would you know embellish and play on this uh this thing and he was just the, you know the the family man and how his wife they interview his wife and she say yes and he enjoys the persimmon pudding and they they they'd fill out all these details to show that the he was just a regular guy who went where the research led him, and it took him. And the thing is that we all, all of us, being sort of fallen beings, if I can strike a, a religious tone there, you know, mm-hmm. um, we we all have a part of us that kind of is excited by what he's saying. What he basically was saying in these books is that human beings are animals, and like animals, you know, they should be able to have sex. Whenever and with whomever, of whatever gender, whatever, whenever they want, and he was practicing what he preached. He made all kinds of pornographic movies in his attic, and he pressured all of his um, his coworkers and their spouses uh, to participate in all this. He's a nasty guy. Okay, this is mm-hmm. this is all you know been well documented. As I say, his life is 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 kind of an open book, except that there is a. There's a, as, that look, you, say, you, might, you might listen to this, this guy on the radio talking right now and say, well, if this is that bad, how come I haven't heard of it? Mm-hmm. Because the entire sexual revolution, the gay rights revolution, which is almost like the heroic class in Western culture now, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and abortion, which is all based on this idea that sex is a right to have. You know, sex causes children okay right. you have you but you want to have your free sex you don't want the children so you got to just dis- right to kill the children so much of the edifice of modern society culturally and legally is based on the the grotesquely bogus research that this man did and I'm not just saying that that Kenzie was a you know a, a he and I won't say he was a pedophile I don't know that he certainly encouraged and enabled a great deal of pedophilia okay right. but you know, he he is a guy who allowed who opened Pandora's box and allowed all this so even though the details of his life are horrible. The fact that he went and he he would research and who would talk to back in nineteen forty eight, who would answer three hundred sexually explicit questions? Okay. A lot of people, most decent people today wouldn't. But back in nineteen forty eight right. World War Two era yeah, the people who did—they were prisoners, they were prostitutes. This is—you know—this is this is a fact. He he actually went in, and he interviewed lots of sexual offenders in prison, uh, 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 prostitutes and so forth, and he labeled them as though they were—you know—normal uh, middle-class uh, American housewives. This is outright fraud. This goes way beyond bias, and he had a he had a researcher's bias. He wanted the research to come out this way. This is outright fraud. It's the worst, probably the worst junk science of the last century. Okay, but still, you say, "Wow, if that's true, why haven't I heard it?" Because so much of what people cherish and is so important to them today is rooted in at its very, very base, in the root of it. In this fraudulent research, so that's that's why uh, the, the Kinsey and his memory and his work is still protected today. Even though, as I say, it's it it, it makes it makes you know global warming look like the most solid science ever.
2: Right. Uh, so what we, have is, what we have is, is the sexual revolution that was brought in. You know with Kinsey's research and slogans such as make love not war and then the legalization of abortion in 1973 which proved they were very very willing to make both love and war and that although there were not things they would die for there were things that they would kill for such as the right to have sex unimpeded by the presence of children that would naturally proceed from those unions but one of the things that I find is as I debate on university campuses quite often with people and it's very hard to combat Uh, the sheer volume of information that they're absorbing that tells them things uh, snippets. You know what I mean. If, if if you have social media, you'll you'll see major sites like mick.com and Upworthy, and all of these different sites. that are churning out probably three or four a day, sometimes, uh, of so-called studies proving, for example, you know the ludicrous assumption that you know pornography is healthy, um, talking about how maximizing your number of sexual partners will will actually improve your life. Uh, things that that are are patently false, even if you briefly think about them for longer than 15 minutes. One of the reasons you know, that the Cosmopolitan magazines and stuff like that have to have huge features on how to get over jealousy is because when you're comparing yourself with the 12 previous partners Cosmo told you to have, you know, jealousy is going to naturally disrupt. But we've kind of abandoned, you know, reasonably thinking about these things. and We've abandoned intuition and we've abandoned reason in favor of these really short junk science articles that people just sort sort of swallow whole. And how do we combat this type of thing? Uh, well, you're quite right
0: that, there, that the whole um, intelligentsia. There's an enormous amount of, of quote peer-reviewed research that's junk uh, that is being conducted because that is the coin of the realm now. Okay, well, this, this is what this is what constitutes expert opinion, and so you have, you, you, you have, as I say, you have junk science that is done from the get-go by uh, totally biased uh, researchers that, that set out to prove something and then they and they do it. And, as you know, the devil's in the details in the way that the mm-hmm. research is set up. But you know here here's part of the problem with you say, what can we do to to counteract that? Part of the problem is not just you know the the worldview and the philosophy uh, that is inculcated in people. We talk about young people going to college, as you mentioned college. okay, so the we have the idea that people go, to college, and they have some unhinged Marxist professor, is um, uh, is, is uh, unloading his worldview into them and, and intimidating them into accepting it and to, and to playing it back to them. And if they don't, they're going to fail, and they won't be able to go and and uh, and 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 graduate and so forth. That's true, but I don't actually think that is the biggest part of it. Because let's just let's just say you go to college, and you when you go, you're a Fairly decent, moral, common sense person. Mm-hmm. Now you go and you're in this very, this totally artificial environment of hundreds or thousands of largely unsupervised young people, all under pressure, and the it's extremely you know progressive liberal environment. Unless it's like an overtly Christian college or something, for the most part, that's that's what college is today. Right. And let's just say that it's nothing more than that you get drawn into. Um, crossing a moral line and becoming immoral sexually—you start shacking up with with somebody. Okay, that's all it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You you have not you don't have any Marxist professors. You haven't been pressured into believing this or that. What happens? Because the thing is that we forget God is real. There really is good and evil in the world, and mm-hmm. they both are recruiting us. They they both want us. Okay, mm-hmm. and so you 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 go to college, and you get sucked into uh, crossing this moral line, and now you're living in sin, if I can use the old Christian expression, okay? Right. What happens to your worldview? Now, your parents are kind of your enemy, okay, because you're Christian parents, uh, you got to hide this from them. Everything that you used to agree with is now kind of suspect, okay? And the people that you used to when you were younger look at as, wow, it's really sad that they got drawn into that lifestyle. Now you're somehow sort of more enlightened. You see their point of view, and it's actually pretty good. And, and now you're, you're more mature and you get it. Your brain's been twisted around. So if you are on the wrong let's say that you're a heterosexual in college and you're shacking up with a girl. Now you look at all the gay rights people. They are on the same side of that moral line as you are, or you are as they are. Who are you to throw stones? You know, You're living in a glass house now. So, if anything, you're going to sympathize with them, and so simply getting getting drawn over into into abandoning your your principles, getting tempted is the religious word for it that is enough to change the polarity of your entire worldview and 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 so you look at it now now pretty soon, you used to be sort of more you know conservative minded in your instincts and your politics now you're more liberal mm-hmm. because. You are on this side where, well, yeah, I'm, I'm. I sympathize with these these gay guys. They're just, doing, you know, they're they're. I have more in common with them than I do with these these Christians. Or, or let's say that you've had an abortion. You're a woman and you're there and you get pregnant and you get pressured and and into having an abortion. And let's say that you are not really ready to to face up to what what you did. Okay. Mm-hmm. And nobody's condemning you, anybody here. Okay. But the fact is, we all. Life is full of suffering. You have to face what what you've done. Otherwise, you end up an addict somewhere, You're totally steeped in unreality, and everything has to do with escape and distraction. Okay, so that's a person who is going to suddenly be very afraid of, and intimidated by, um, and offended by the pro-life demonstrators out there holding the signs up. And these may be like sweet. Catholic people there that have not, don't have a mean bone in their body and, and are not condemning you, but you look at them as they they are the, the meanest, most, you know, vilest human beings there um, because you have somehow, you know, you've put out the light inside yourself, and when that light shines in somebody else, and it's unwelcome in you at, yet at this point, it burns. It's kind of a spiritual thing we're talking about. But that's really what's going on there. It's not just well, yes, the professor said this, and I've seen the logic right. of him that it does make sense to have like a thousand sex partners. That that, that, that you know, this is an insanity, okay? But these people, these are people. Uh, these Marxist professors have long ago been compromised and and given over their souls to the dark. You, meant, you mentioned uh, uh, "make love, not war." That 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 expression came from Herbert Marcuse. The the uh, the famous, um, he's basically a dirty old Marxist, okay? Uh-huh. He was one of the, the Frankfurt School. He's the guy who made up that expression. And the, so how many of the hippies in the 19... And I, I'm i talking about myself. I was in college during the 1960s. How many of the people that grew their hair long were having sex with anything that moved and saying, make love, not war, and thought they were so enlightened, really knew that they were just reflecting the the, the obscene worldview of a 1920s era dirty old uh... i mean really filthy if you know anything about him um, uh, uh, uh... you know marxist revolutionary
2: right we, we <laughs> well, you see, you, what you see and what you say here is quite interesting in as that you know you're making the case that it's not just education. And it's not just the the influx of information people are exposed to, but that when people sort of you know join in these actions themselves, they lose the moral credibility to speak out and thus eventually lose the character. So playing into that, there's an interesting statistic that came out earlier this year then that over fifty percent of Christian pastors have admitted. Uh, to looking at pornography in the last four weeks do you think perhaps then that the deafening silence of, of churches across the board on many of these issues uh, plays into that loss of moral credibility where um, you know if, if Christian pastors are struggling with you know looking at some some very dark and, and, and very depraved things you know behind closed doors on their laptops that they might feel too hypocritical or too ashamed to speak out on the issues that we need them to speak out about when when they're in the light of day behind the pulpit
0: well, yes, that would be very logical that they would be embarrassed to, and, and the the hypocrisy that they would feel uh, would be unbearable to be lecturing. I, I suppose some are capable of doing it. We've seen mm-hmm. some high profile examples uh, of of you know Christian televangelists and stuff in in, in past decades. But basically, yes. That I, look, I, I'm I, I would speak. I would say I'm. I consider myself a Christian believer, uh, but I um, you know, for, for like the, for the U S okay, the, here, the, the, the lower 48 here, where, uh, you, you've got what, 80%, maybe it's down to 75% of the population self-identifies as Christian. Okay. Well, um, look at the kind of government and culture and laws and, and public servants we have. They're, they're more and more, uh, not just unchristian, but you know anti-Christian. So the the pulpit is not very effective uh, r- right now. And the fact that look, I, when you say fifty percent of of pastors confess to looking at, at pornography, this is this is one of the really big scourges. I'm not I'm not dumping on the pastors here. Mm-hmm. And in past times, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to like either order it through the mail. Or you know, go to the airport uh, newsstand or whatever, and, and 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 buy your whatever hustler magazine. Or you had to go to one of these raunchy um, adult bookstores, and and there was really plenty of time along the way for your conscience to say to you, "Stupid, what are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh, but but in the age of the internet, where it is literally like a the transporter machine in Star Trek. Okay, if you have a passing dark thought a, a pull to go and look at whatever it is that that, that the, the thought that, that perches in your mind there you can be there in three seconds okay so you can literally beam yourself into pornographic quicksand in no time and and bypass the the conscience factor that if you had to get in your car and drive out there you say what the hell am I doing why, why am I doing this you probably wouldn't get out of your driveway, okay, so that is part look the i i'm I'm an internet journalist, okay. The internet is a almost magical technology it's, right. it's amazing, but it is leveraged uh by by evil and by good it's like all technology it's it's amoral it's used mm-hmm. for good and evil and and believe me, we better use it for good because evil is really using it, telling people how to make bombs that get past metal detectors that's in the news today that's why we have higher. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, security status at the airports, uh, and of course, you know, pornography and all the rest. It's it's uh, so we we may as well use it as instrument of of enlightenment as well because evil is sure
2: using it. Well, that's a great place to leave it. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
0: Happy to talk to you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, that was author and commentator David an author of The Marketing of Evil, sharing with us how evil has influenced our culture in different ways and how it has disguised itself to gain widespread acceptance in the public. In fact, he mentioned Dr. Judith Reisman several times. We've actually interviewed Dr. Judith Reisman right here on this program. And if you want to listen to that interview and a lot of other ones, please go to our YouTube page, the Bridgehead YouTube page. Page, and all of our interviews get posted there shortly afterwards we hope you enjoyed uh, this interview and we've got a whole bunch of exciting interviews coming up over the next several weeks we've got a number of different series looking at different issues in human rights and we hope you'll consider joining us again next week at 1:30 p.m eastern standard time on am 530. thanks for listening and have a great weekend